Ultrasound Gel Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Ultrasound Gel Podcast. My name is Jacob Avila. I'm here with Michael Pratt. Mike, how are you doing today, man? It's pretty good over here. You know I love to start with a cool case report, and this one is definitely that. It's titled, Timely Diagnosis of Pneumoperitoneum by Point-of-Care Ultrasound in the Emergency Department, a Case Series. And you know, this is something that we've seen become more and more important. I guess people didn't have the awareness of it five years ago that this was a common thing that can really change your management. But if you find air in the abdomen, I mean, that's usually a pretty big emergency, unless, you know, they're immediately post-operative or something. So this details three patients. And the thing that I took from this is that they had so many different complaints. Like you never know when to suspect this. So one of them came in with syncope. Someone thought they were constipated. Someone was unresponsive. And they ended up doing an abdominal ultrasound because they had some abdominal pain associated with it. And they found the findings of free intraperitoneal air. And those findings, if you've never seen it, there's a couple things described. You can have an enhanced peritoneal stripe sign, sometimes called EPSS. So it's a little confusing if you think about the EPSS associated with your heart, but don't worry about that. Just a thickened peritoneal line. And then also you can get your classic reverberation artifact looking kind of like bee lines coming down from the peritoneum. So look for those things in your patients. Check out this case report. It's a really nice pictures and really nice cases main event article for today is another great procedural ultrasound article. It's titled Ultrasound versus Landmark Guided Medium Joint Arthrocentesis, a Randomized Clinical Trial, Academic Emergency Medicine, October 2021, coming from our friends at Temple in Philly. This is about doing ultrasound for joint effusions, but not just diagnostically. We're talking actually guiding the procedure itself. I mean, we already know that ultrasound's pretty good for finding if there's fluid in the joint. Like you could just slap it on almost any joint and you can see is there an effusion or not. But this is taking it one step further. They are asking the question, is there benefit to directly guiding your needle into that joint effusion? I mean, intuitively, it makes sense, especially if we're talking about some of these smaller joints like a wrist or elbow or something. Those can be a little bit tricky to do with landmarks. Maybe if we use the ultrasound, find exactly that fluid pocket we're going for, put our needle in there. Seems like it would make sense that could increase your success. That's what these authors set out to do. They're asking the question, what is the overall success of ultrasound-guided arthrocentesis compared to your traditional landmark-guided arthrocentesis? And they're focusing on what they call medium-sized joints, which they define as the elbow, the wrist, or the ankle. So looking for overall success, but then they're also checking out first-pass success, number of attempts, complications between the groups. Jacob, how did they do this study? This is, I'm super excited about this. I mean, I feel like MSK ultrasound in general, like joints, muscles, tendons are something that we we know we can do, but we don't focus in on all that much because I mean, I mean people are not going to die if you you know miss an effusion or don't get that arthrocentesis right. But I think it's huge for a patient-centered outcome of decrease in pain and increase in like success of basically telling them what's wrong with them. So I love that this happened. Also, shout out to the authors of this article, Gibb and Costantino just I know that there's more on there but I've actually read their articles outside of this like they do vascular access stuff like Gibbons got this sweet radial artery line placement article where he compares landmark versus ultrasound 
And then Constantino, I know, has a vascular access one as well that I've read and I've like referred to multiple times. So I'm, I'm excited that these individuals are definitely uh, publishing more amazing content. Here's what they did. This was a single center perspective randomized clinical trial. They had a convenient sample of adults who presented to a single hospital. They included patients with suspected joint effusion. Now, the way that they diagnosed it was via the presence of a suspected effusion based on the physical examination alone. They didn't do any x-rays. They did no ultrasounds. At that point, they were actually enrolled in the study as long as they didn't meet any of the exclusion criteria. Practitioners who performed the arthrocentesis were PGY1 through 3s. There was an attending that was supervising but not allowed to touch any part that was going to be in contact with a patient. One thing I didn't see, Mike, here is any description on how they were educated necessarily on how to perform landmark versus ultrasound guidance. Did, did you see something in there about that or did I just miss it? Well, they just mentioned in general that all the residents did a four-hour ultrasound-guided procedures course, which may have included how to do an ultrasound-guided arthrocentesis, and they all had their usual four-week rotation in emergency ultrasound. So they had the opportunity to do it. I don't believe there's any specific training for the sake of this study. Gotcha, gotcha. So what they did was if they were unable to aspirate after three attempts, then somebody else tried it, either a more senior resident or the attending. And an attempt was defined as basically any change in a straight path of the needle going down. So changing direction or withdrawing the needle to puncture the skin again. They followed patients for seven days after their presentation to look for complications, which I think is important too. Cool. So let's see what they came up with. Now, I don't want you to be disappointed. There's only 44 patients in this study, but let me tell you why. They did a power analysis, and it turns out, based on some evidence, you know, they would only need about 14 patients in each group. They went a little bit beyond recruiting that. We ended up with 44 patients overall. It seems small, but I think it meets the requirement, so it should still be a good population to study. Now, there's some little tricky things about this population because you can see from a really nice figure they included in here, when they found out that there was no effusion based on ultrasound, then they didn't include that in the denominator of their calculation. They basically threw that out because they knew success was impossible at that point. So there's some stuff you have to kind of look at pretty closely to figure out how they got these percentages. But we did that for you. Now, primary outcome, overall success. The ultrasound guided group, 94%, 94.1% success. Landmark guided, 60%. Pretty solid difference there. And then they also did an intention to treat analysis, which usually in studies that means let's forget if they crossed over or were like inappropriately went to the wrong group, whatever group they're randomized to to start with, let's analyze it that way. And when you look at that calculation, pretty big difference still, 85 versus 39%. So either way, there's a big difference in favor of the ultrasound guidance. Now, some of their secondary outcomes, first pass success, also favored ultrasound guidance, 82.4% versus 46.7 in the landmark. So again, these are differences like 30 40% pretty significant and then lastly the mean attempts how many attempts did it take to get success there was fewer in ultrasound guidance but this was a difference of like 0.65 attempts so a little bit hard to say what that means clinically although the confidence interval still was appropriate no complications seen in either group 
couldn't really evaluate if there was a difference in complications because they didn't find any. And that's great for the patients. We're, we're happy for that. I have to just throw in this because I thought it was really fascinating. The physical exam accuracy for detecting if there was an effusion was only 72.7%. Not good. So what do you think, Jacob? What do you think of all this stuff? This mirrors what I see clinically, and it mirrors some of the other kind of literature. But this is great because it's a randomized trial, and they showed that, I mean, it's almost like there's no question about it. Why would you ever do a landmark-based approach on any kind of arthrocentesis? Especially, I mean, probably the most common one out of these that I see is the knee. Even if they appear to have a really big effusion, it's just so much easier in the long run to actually use the ultrasound machine for this procedure because there's no digging around. You're not having to do that thing where you, you're like, I should be in the joint and then you have to pull back and then turn a different angle and then go again and try and find the joint. There is none of that when you use ultrasound because you can see it kind of go right in. And briefly, the way that I kind of do this, and they do talk about it here, what I do is I find the effusion first. Usually I, I find the effusion by placing the uh, transducer in the long axis above. Then I turn it transverse and then my needle comes in laterally. So I'm actually seeing the effusion in transverse, but my needle in the long axis with my needle coming from lateral to medial. I agree with you that it is very easy, but I have to admit that personally, if I have like a really giant knee effusion or shoulder effusion, I don't always 100% of the time do ultrasound because sometimes those are a piece of cake, you know? But I do like what you're saying that maybe when we think about the patient's discomfort, maybe it's just best to optimize our success up front. And I think especially for these smaller joints, which those ones definitely can be really tricky, especially if there's a small little effusion you're going after. So I like how they actually chose that subset of some of the smaller joints or medium-sized joints, as they call them, because I think that's where it's really going to make a huge difference, which is exactly what they saw in this article. Yeah, and another thing, too, that I found helpful, and of course, reasonable people can can disagree. There's no problem with that. The other thing that I've noticed is that sometimes I'll see a big effusion and, you know, I'll get the needle and I'll start aspirating. I'll aspirate, let's say, I think there's 100 cc's in there, and I get to like 30 and it's done. And I'll put the ultrasound machine there and realize that my needle is on a little bit of joint fat or my needle is like right sitting on the bone or whatever. And so it's easier to redirect. And I'm wondering too, if, and I don't know how they would have been able to do this, but I wonder if the volume that they aspirated with the ultrasound was higher than the volume with the landmark, because you can double check and redirect based off of where the pocket is relative to your needle tip. That would be a really cool thing to know. But yeah, I don't think that was included in this study. Yeah. When I look at this study, I think awesome to have a randomized control trial on this topic. This is really helpful in adding that to the existing literature. And they did a really thorough analysis and they showed us exactly what happened with each data point. So that was really useful. I think some of the limitations of it were there was definitely the possibility for some selection bias. I mean, this is a convenient sample of patients that were in the emergency department. It seemed like these investigators were pretty, I want to say maybe they were advocates for doing ultrasound guidance of this in the first place. They seemed well trained in it. So that could definitely affect some of the results. The other thing was that there was a difference in the amount of actual effusions seen between the two groups. So if you look at the landmark group and the ultrasound guided groups, there was actually less effusions present in the landmark group, which means that, you know, they had no chance of succeeding in that group. And they know that because after they failed in the landmark group, they crossed over and they did an ultrasound to see if there was an effusion and then they would do the arthrocentesis that way. So it sounds like that group was actually set up to not do as well just based on the randomization and the patients that went in there. But they did their best to analyze the data in a way that was fair and I think that the differences seen still stand. 
Let's summarize this. In this study, 44 patients undergoing arthrocentesis of medium-sized joints, the ultrasound-guided arm had an overall success of 94.1% compared to 60% in the landmark group, and the ultrasound group also had significantly higher first-pass success and less attempts. Our take-home points are that, number one, dynamic ultrasound guidance increases your overall success compared to the landmark technique in these medium-sized joints, your wrist, ankle, elbow. We are unable to determine if there's any advantage in complication rates because there was none observed in either group in this study. Lastly, we think that these findings should be validated by additional studies at other institutions. Make sure that this holds up. We would like to thank the authors for doing this fabulous work. Really appreciate it. Keep up the good work over there at Temple. And thank you listeners for tuning in again. We look forward to our next talk. But until then, we'll talk to you later. More pressure, more gel, more pressure, more gel, more pressure, more gel. All right, super fun.